We are in Isaiah chapter 9. Some British guy with a goatee, I think, by the name of Shakespeare or something, he wrote a play called Romeo and Juliet. And this, these two fell in love before they realized that they were members of highly competitive families and rivals. Romeo being a Montague, Juliet a Capulet. And Juliet cries out, Romeo, Romeo, And deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if thou wilt not, be but sworn my love and I'll no longer be a Capulet. And a few lines later, Juliet asked the question that I want to ask this morning. She said, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So they decided to go down to the Baptist church, and they got eight weeks of premarital counseling. They got married and lived in a little cottage on the edge of town, had five kids, sent them to Christian school, and they worked in the youth group. I, I read another ending, but it was so bizarre. Nobody would believe it, and so I won't repeat that part of it. But what's in a name? What's in a name? Solomon says uh, it's pretty important, your name. He said a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Great riches. A good name. From the day I was born, uh, my parents uh, connected me, linked me to their preferences and to their values by my name. It was Grotsky. And when we had our kids, our kids were linked to our preferences and our values by their name, Grotsky. And uh, even today, even though they're all out of the house, there are times when I will tell them uh, when they're going to go do something to remember your last name. Uh, I'm not saying that because I think they might forget. I'm saying it because... I want them to remember the preferences and values that I have tried to pass on, or Cindy and I have tried to pass on to them. The uh, uh, significance of a name is especially important in Bible times, uh, both Old and the New Testament. Uh, they re the names would reflect maybe an experience that they would go through during the birth of a child, such as Jabez. And... Uh, it says that his mom named him Jabez because I bear him with sorrow. Now, I'm not quite sure what that sorrow was. Maybe she had a terrible delivery. Maybe she was, had a terrible sickness before uh, they were born. he was born. Or maybe it was a, the, the delivery was terrible. Or maybe he was sick when he came out. But they called him Jabez or sorrowful kind of as a memory of what took place at his birth. Maybe it was to express a child's character, such as Jacob, 
Now, if your name is Jacob, I apologize, uh, because they, they don't mean the same today as they did back then, but lots of, they probably called him Bud. Hey, Bud, you know, go pick up your toys. Uh, go tend the sheep as he's a little kid. And then they realize that there's a pattern going on in his life. And he, so they began to call him Jacob, which means deceiver uh, or conniver. Uh, he, he was probably saying, the toys are all picked up. No, they're not. I can see them through the window. They're still out there. I, I picked them up. My brother must have, Esau must have uh, done that. Uh, and so he was called Jacob because of his character, conniver or cheat. And Naomi, um, Naomi means delightful one. If you've got if your name is Naomi, that's a, that's a beautiful name. Delightful one. She changed her name to Mara, or bitter, because they went, her and her husband and two boys, they went to Moab during a famine, and while they were there, her husband dies, and then her two boys die, and uh, one of her uh, daughter-in-laws goes back to Moab, and only Ruth remains with her, and she says... I, I'm going to be called Mara from now on, bitter. So, thing, don't they? In the New Testament, a man by the name of Joseph was such an encourager that they changed his name to Barnabas, son of consolation or son of encouragement. Uh, so, names are important. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says that Jesus means Jehovah my Savior. That will be his name. And scripture honors the name of Jesus uh, throughout the, the, now in the early church age because Peter preaches after the day of Pentecost and he gets up there and he preaches and he comes down to the, the climax of his message and he says there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved where you will get eternal life there's no name but Jesus that's the climax and that's saying nobody else can save you nothing else can save you in Colossians 3.17, it's the name that sets the tone for everything that, Christ, uh, that Christians do. This is the guide for our lives. It says, and whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. You get that? What we, what we say and what we do... Remember your last name if you're a Christian. Remember your last name. Because you represent, and not Grotsky, but you represent Jesus. And that's pretty, pretty important. You know, I knew, I knew growing up that uh, we uh, lived in a little bitty town, 300 people, and... Uh, I knew that everyone in that town knew who I was. Now, there were eight of us kids, so it kind of spread it out a little bit, and I kind of flew under the radar, tried to keep under the radar, stand in the corners, 
Uh, but uh, I knew that if I messed up, uh, I had to go home sometime. And they knew. I mean, if I did it uh, an hour, whatever I did, an hour before school got out, I knew that Mom and Dad already knew by the time I would get home. And so we do all. We ought to, whatever we say, whatever we do, uh, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11 says that it's the name that one day in the future, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. From the time of Jesus' birth until now, either we've missed or we've dismissed the significance of his name. And I just want to remind us again, and I realize that if you've been going to church very long, that uh, these names that we're going to go through in the next probably four weeks will be not new names, but maybe just reminders of where we are in Jesus Christ and how important his name is. I don't want it, I don't want the name of Jesus just to be something you use when you're alarmed or when you're angry or an expletive, profanity. And so uh, we can know much about Jesus and his character by his names that are given to us in Scripture. Let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look at your word today, might we see Jesus, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to see in the next few weeks what these names are here in Isaiah chapter 9, just verse 6 primarily. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. It's a compound word. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. A description of Jesus. And hopefully they will give us a deeper understanding of who he is and our relationship with him. Uh, He deserves our trust, and yet I see less and less trust given to Jesus today than when I was a kid. We believe Jesus is there. Lots of believers believe, but there's not a lot of trust. I mean, we trust him for the things that are going to happen anyway, but when it comes to something that is difficult something that is tough, then uh, when, uh, when the tough comes, you know, the tough get going. No, that's not the way it is. It's, we ought to trust him. By these names, we ought to trust him. Isaiah says more about the promises of Jesus Christ than any other prophet in Scripture. He predicts the Messianic age, and that's what he's, he's getting to here. But he, pre- he predicts that there's going to be a thousand years where Christ will rule upon this earth. That's coming. There's going to be a thousand years of world peace. That's coming. The government will reside, the center of government will reside in Jerusalem. And Jesus himself will sit upon the throne and uh, rule from there. And the earth will be repopulated 
And many will trust Christ, but many will reject him and war against him at the end of that thousand years. And Isaiah tells us much about this. Um, But the character of the coming Messiah or the coming servant, the coming king, is best described in verse 6 that we're looking at. Uh, In Isaiah, we see his birth and even here in verse 6. For unto us a child is born. We see his birth, his entrance into the human race. We see his kingdom when he comes as Messiah. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Uh, Isaiah 2 tells us that during this time, the people will beat their swords into plowshares and their pruning hooks in, uh, and their spears into pruning hooks, saying that they're going to switch from, uh, uh, the, from battle, from war, to agriculture, plows and pruning the orchards during the millennial reign of Christ. And they won't need to bear arms anymore. So now his name in, in verse 6, the second part, we see his character. We see his birth. We see his kingdom. And now he gets to the character of the Messiah. And with these four compound words. The, the first we see is his guiding name. Wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor. But just we're not even going to be able to examine all that this morning. I just want us to look at this word wonderful. Because it is different than our wonderful. We see the decorations at Christmas time. And we say oh they're wonderful. Oh and we see the presents. Oh this is wonderful. We see the food. This is wonderful. Uh, we're able to get the game. We say, oh, that's too bad. Uh, but wonderful, what is the Hebrew definition of wonderful? What does it say? Something uncommon or out of the ordinary. In fact, more than that, it's a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human explanation. It's something that is far separated from common Normal course events. Something that cannot be explained. A wonderful counselor. A counselor that cannot be uh, explained at all. Something miraculous. So this counselor is going to be miraculous. The problem is we have a low view of miraculous. Or of miracles. In 1980... The U.S. hockey team played the Russians, and we remember that. I think I mentioned that not too long ago. But uh, here we played their professional team, and we were made up of a bunch of, of kids, the U.S. team, a bunch of kids. Uh, one of them yanked out my, my wisdom teeth over here, Dr. Sophie, years ago. And um, he was on the team. But L. Michaels, the commentator, he screamed out, and if you were there, you might remember uh, watching this because they played it over and over and over again on TV. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! And that's kind of our view of miracles, although that was quite miraculous. Uh, Sometimes it's an A-plus on a final exam. Sometimes it's a Vikings win. I believe in miracles. Look. 
It happened in reality. They're not really miracles. They can be explained through some... Uh, some might be more difficult to explain than others. There are still miracles that are going on. I think that I believe that in the uh, Middle East especially that a number of Muslims are seeing visions, dreams, dreaming dreams. That This is a one way that God is using today here. But this wonderful counselor, miraculous counselor, taking place here. It's, it, it's, it's not wonderful like a manger scene or the lights or decorations. This is beyond that, almost beyond wonder. And it not only describes what he does, but it describes who he is. And do you see him this way? I, I hope you do. This is miraculous. You know, that's why a lot of, a lot of men today... And, people today cannot place their faith in Jesus Christ because they have to explain everything and and even if it takes uh, uh, 10 more million years you just keep tacking on millions of years or maybe add a billion years and then maybe that's the way uh, that uh, creation took place because they don't want to believe in the miraculous they don't want that would take faith and without faith, you cannot please God. Without faith, you cannot accept God as your Savior. And uh, I, I hope that we see him as a wonder. Because he is. He's a wonderful counselor in this case. But he is wonderful. He's wonderful in what he was. He was creator. Creating all of this. That's uh, beyond explanation, isn't it? I mean, we have men that kind of can explain it so that it, it, it might, uh, it, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. Creation makes sense to me. But I have to have faith that God, that Jesus created all of this. It does take faith. He was a child. And I believe this is the most wonderful part that God, uh, thing that God ever did. He became a child. Unto us a child is born. Because it put in motion the plan that the prophets talked about uh, and the angels sang about that would change people's lives for all eternity. Because he became a child, and only because he became a child, do I have a home in heaven? Do I have hope after these few years upon this earth? If he had not become a child, if he had not become a human, then I would not have eternal life. His birth of a virgin, beyond explanation, a miraculous, wonderful. And uh, even Mary says to the angel, how can this be? Uh, this is beyond comprehension because I've never known a man. I'm a virgin. This is impossible possible to happen yet Jesus came during his life living a sinful sinless life and all we have is is knowing the world that we live in that's impossible it's impossible for me yes it is it's impossible for you yes it is it is impossible 
except God lived a sinless life. Jesus, God the Son, a sinless life. Um, for his discussions, and I like to think about this, uh, uh, when he's 12 years old and he's discussing with the rabbis and they're scratching their heads and they're saying, how does he know all of this? This is wonderful. This is beyond explanation. His authority. How can he preach? How can he speak like this? Like one having authority. I don't get it. It's wonderful. Or beyond explanation, his death. Ah, wonderful. Terrible. Beyond explanation. Why would God die except for us? And why would he love us enough to do that? His resurrection. His resurrection. Wonderful. Beyond explanation. So they made up stories that the disciples came and stole, they stole the body away. That's, that's all, the only explanation we can come up with. We don't know what happened. Our soldiers fell down. This is wonderful. This is awful. This is beyond comprehension. He's wonderful in all he was. He's wonderful in all that he is. The person of Jesus Christ. There's no comparison to him in the universe. Some cults try to compare him with Satan. And they say, good son, bad son. No. It's creator and created. There's no comparison at all there. No comparison to the person of Jesus Christ. But Christ was truly man and truly God. That's wonderful. I mean, that's beyond comprehension. I can't explain it. Yet he was. He had to be God that he might be able to pay the debt for our sins. See, money couldn't pay the debt. A baptism couldn't pay the debt. The blood of animals couldn't pay the debt. Membership to a Baptist church cannot pay the debt. And now, the only thing that comes close to paying the debt for my sin is if I suffer for eternity in a literal hell. That comes close. I don't like that option. So I, I choose the option. Jesus Christ said, I will die on the cross. I did die on the cross for you, Dave. Trust me. Call in the name of the Lord, and you'll be saved. Cry out, ask me to forgive you and save you. I will. That's why I died, Jesus. Said, That's wonderful. It is beyond comprehension. The first Adam, he sinned, and we're all related to him by sin. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, not all are related to him. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. There are many millions of people that are not in Jesus Christ. They've chosen some other way to uh, have their, their lives reconciled, some other way to to get them into their eternity or into their next level of whatever it is, uh, but not through Jesus Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. But you've got to be in Christ. It, 
if, if you're here or you're watching on, on TV or on the computer and, and you are not in Jesus Christ today, uh, you have no eternity in heaven with him. You need to call on the Lord and be saved today. He's wonderful in his office as king. King. Now, he does not sit on a kingly throne right now. Um, that's the office he's going to take in the future. He is king of the universe right now. He is head of the church right now. He reigns in heaven right now, but upon this earth, he's allowing the prince and the power of the air to reign. He's allowing it. There's going to come a time when what we call the rapture, but it, it, in Scripture, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's the catching away, the catching away of believers. Someday there will be a catching away, and there will be a seven-year tribulation time upon this earth when God pours out his wrath because of the rejection of man, and even upon the earth, so that the earth has to, uh, just, uh, has to be remade for the millennium. And then the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation as king of kings and lord of lords. He rides down here and we get to follow him on white horses. If you don't know how to ride a horse, get, get some lessons, do something uh, before then because it could be soon. Uh, Jesus Christ is wonderful beyond explanation. Max Licato, one of his books, writes this. A friend of mine was on a train traveling out of Victoria Station in London. Across from him in the compartment were two men in their early 30s. Twenty minutes out of the station, one of them had an epileptic seizure. Perhaps you know how frightening such a seizure can be. The man stiffened and fell heavily out of his seat. Immediately, his friend took off his own jacket, rolled it up, put it behind his friend's head, he blotted the beads of perspiration from his brow with his handkerchief, talked to the stricken man in a quiet manner, and calmed him. When the seizure was over, he lifted his friend gently back into his seat. Then he turned to my friend and said, Mr., please forgive us. Sometimes this happens two or three times a day. Um, my buddy and I were in Vietnam together, and we were both wounded. I had bullets in both my legs, and he had one in his shoulder. The helicopter that was supposed to come for us never came to pick us up. My friend picked me up, mister, and he carried me for three and a half days out of that jungle. The Viet Cong were sniping at us all the way. He was in more agony than I was. I begged him to drop me and save himself, but he wouldn't let me go. He got me out of that jungle, mister. He saved my life. I don't know how he did it, and I don't know why he did it. Four years ago, I found out that he had this condition, so I sold my house in New York, took what money I had, and came over here to take care of him. And then he looked at his friend and said, You see, Mister, after what he did for me, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for him beyond explanation. I had a wonderful friend, hard to explain it. Nothing compared to a wonderful counselor a wonderful friend we have in Jesus Christ. Hard to explain. Nothing can explain it. It is miraculous. Because of what he did for me, I pray that I can say 
there isn't anything I wouldn't do for him. As we leave this morning, one, if you're a believer, I want you to remember this. Remember your last name. Let's pray. Father, as Christians, we have a responsibility. Might we take it seriously? Might we be reminded of the character of our Savior through this season? Lord, I I pray that everyone here has already placed their faith in you, even though it's beyond explanation. Yes, it's miraculous. It's hard to believe. Maybe, just maybe impossible to believe apart from faith. And I pray that each one here will have placed their faith in you and with heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe there's somebody here that would say, Pastor, uh, that's me. It's just, it's just been too hard for me to believe. Yeah, it, it will be. Because it takes faith to come to Jesus. And, and if you do not know Christ as your Savior, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, if he is just somebody you talk about or read about, uh, then you need a personal relationship with him. You need to do it this morning. Don't wait. After what he's done for you, is there anything you will not do for him? Consider that. Father, we place our souls into your hands and our bodies into your hands because we believe you are wonderful and you will care for us in just the right way and we thank you for that in Jesus name Amen